This interview was brought to you by the Center for Leadership in Athletics at the University of Washington, an academic and research center within the College of Education. At the center, we believe in the power of sport to positively shape people and communities and are committed to developing effective leaders and leadership practices that maximize the positive educational impact of athletics. The center offers coach development opportunities for all levels of sport coaches, including a graduate degree program, the Excel Sports Coaching Certificate, and customized organizational trainings, all derived from the center's research, including the Ambitious Coaching Project. To learn more, visit uwcla.uw.edu. In this interview, we talked with Dr. Joanna Michelson, who's an expert in adult learning and teacher education. We start our conversation by looking at the emotional experience of learning and pinpointing how we can best support learners through the frustrations and low points that are a normal part of the process of learning and developing skills. We discuss what makes adult learners unique and how we can facilitate our own personal and professional development. Finally, we looked at how we can prime ourselves and those we're teaching to be better learners. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, this is Marcia Daniel with the University of Washington Center for Leadership in Athletics. And today we have Dr. Joanna Michelson joining us, who is the Director of Teacher Leadership and Learning at the University of Washington's Center for Educational Leadership. Dr. Michelson leads the teacher professional learning component of the CEL's trainings. Her work is about designing and setting conditions for teacher learning. Dr. Michelson, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I want to start by asking you about the emotional experience associated with learning and how we can sustain motivation throughout that process. There's a model that surfaced in the 70s called the four stages of learning. When we're learning something new or trying to master a new skill, we start in the first stage of unconscious incompetence where the skill or the task is completely new and unfamiliar to us. We don't yet know what we don't know. Then we move into conscious incompetence. And it's in this stage that we become aware of how much more we need to learn and how much work is ahead of us if we want to master this new skill. If we make it through the second stage, we then progress to conscious competence where we become more proficient, but the skill still takes a fair amount of effort and conscious thought. And then finally, we might make it to the final stage, which is unconscious competence where we reach a level of proficiency that this skill really no longer no longer requires conscious effort and can feel more automatic to us. And we know that it's in the second stage where learners are more likely to lose motivation, struggle psychologically and emotionally. And this is where we're more likely to give up um, and maybe resort back to old ways of operating. So Dr. Michelson, how can we best support our learners who are in that second stage Yeah, this is such a great question. While you were even just talking right now, I was thinking about some leaders I've been supporting recently where having this model in my mind again was useful in identifying where they are in their practice. So really useful. We we definitely have come across this model of thinking in educational leadership. So it's great. Thank you for even the frame there. And it's true in, in our work directly with leaders we do tend to find that 
often will have leaders self-assess their skills and they'll assess themselves as higher at the beginning um, of a partnership or an engagement than they do towards the end, you know? Uh So the more they know that they need to learn, the more they realize that they, that they have to learn. And to your point, this can cause, um, this can cause some pretty serious discomfort and a desire to, to give up. So, I mean, it's very, it's so human, right? We, as humans, especially adults, we really don't like feeling incompetent. We're supposed to be competent. We, we, many of us got to where we are in our careers because we've had a, a measure of success, you know, have been told that we're doing a good job over right, the years, yeah. right? We really want to be comfortable. And it's in this place that we know we learn when we're at that edge. So, you know, some of the things that we, we tend to do in our, our work with leaders individually or in groups is... I think we, we do, it's helpful if we can name it, name it up front, even before it happens. You know, we, we'll sometimes say to a group that we at Cell are not doing our jobs as their facilitators or coaches. If they, if we haven't created that moment for you, it's going to happen. Um, we're here to provoke you, you know, expect to have that experience. And then when they come up, it's we find it's easier to normalize them. We can say, remember, we were going to get to this spot. Here we are. It's actually a celebration, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. Here we are sitting in the discomfort. Exactly, <laughs> right. And, you know, and then really engage a leader in some, some reflection about that moment with some structure, you know, what's coming up. And, you know, we, we also operate from strength. It's, it's a big part of our approach that we call taking a strengths-based stance. And we operate that way, right? And we also teach leaders to operate that way. And we find it's really helpful, especially in a learning process, to name what someone is able to do and even help them name what they've learned to do even recently. And I mean, it might sound really small, but being able to, to be clear about how far we've come and what we've actually, you know, our, our, where, we, where we are on kind of the staircase of improvement is so different than where it was at the beginning. And now we're, at, we're on a new ledge or on the verge of something new. Find that that's incredibly helpful to people and powerful. And I want. Can I ask yeah, a quick question yeah, on that? Of course, I, please. I'm thinking about athletes who are who are newer to a skill. Yes, and they're going through that learning process, and they're frustrated when they're in that second stage, right? And they really want to be good, and and maybe mm-hmm. they're trying to make like you know make the team. So there's there's some pressure there too. And but I, what I heard you say that I want to ask about is, did I hear you right that you said you have the learner name? what they're doing well. Is that correct? Rather than you're telling them what they're doing. So tell us why it's important for the learner to identify what they've learned and to name it rather than being told. That's great. And sometimes to be fair, we do to support some, some learners in naming what they've taken on, especially if they can't see it because they've been struggling for so long, right. Or, or they're feeling such a sense of being overwhelmed. Um, We narrate some of that learning, but that said, it's so powerful when a learner can own it, right? When they can, when they feel like they have a bit of control over the experience of their learning, it, it supports agency. It, it's, it's a way of being in the world. We all could benefit from more as just humans being able to say, okay, this is where, how far I've come, what I've tried. This is where I was. Here's what helped me get here um, and, and what I now can do that I couldn't do before. 
Right. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about as, as particularly with young, well, I guess all learners, but you know, we we work a lot with coaches who are developing younger athletes sure. and, and this is a skill in and of itself, right. That we want to help them develop of being able to identify their progress, um, their, you know, the stepping stones and, and being able to identify those strengths. I mean, that's a huge skill set that takes a while to develop. It absolutely does. We're, we're so used to um, being hard on ourselves and identifying what we're not doing. We, we tend to get that message uh, in life or, and then we, we internalize it. So, you know, maybe you're not as fast a runner as you want to be, but, you know, you got up three days this week early and, and got out there, you know, na- yeah. and naming that and celebrating it. Using coaches as an example, again, say they're working with a team and individual athletes five to six days a week. Would you recommend that they have their learners or their athletes spend a little time in this process of identifying strengths and identifying progress every day? Absolutely. I, yes, absolutely. Not, not having worked directly as a, as a coach for young people in that way. Um, that just makes intuitive sense to me. Yes. And it seems like it would do a lot to keep people motivated. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, you know, we, we also work with this construct of collective efficacy, like a, your shared belief as a group or as a partnership that you can do things that will actually have an impact. And I think our own individual and shared ef- efficacy depends on having mastery experiences. That's what mm-hmm. we find. So even if they're so small, being able to name what we did that had the created success is so productive moving yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I keep using younger learners yeah. as an example, but I mean, you, obviously you are working with adults, some of whom are, are pretty well seasoned and far along in their careers. Right. I'm hearing right. you say like this process is incredibly important for all of us, regardless of our, our career stage and life stage. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It's a part of our vision as an organization is, is to help, all learners, all ages really develop this agency and ability to, to, to reflect on their own efficacy in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so naming it and what you had some others on your list. Yeah. N- naming it, reflecting on strength, reflecting on success, you know, is certainly a way to move through this discomfort. I do think it is important for the person with, with more knowledge in this situation or more experience perhaps to, to highlight the success experiences as they happen. So to bring them to the learner's attention so that um, they, if they're not in the habit of noticing them, that's I think a really another important piece there to create that, that safety um, in that second stage. Yeah. How long can that second stage last? Yeah, great. I mean, I think depends so much on the learner and the context. You know, we're in, we're in a context right now with so much stress on all learners of all ages. So I just have noticed that while we're all still developing our resilience, you know, there can be, we need to potentially experience success faster and move into a, another mm-hmm. phase um, potentially right now, not for everybody. But I mean, it can, it can go on for, for quite a while. Having s- specific goals so that we know we've taken another step up that we, we use a staircase visual a lot with our learners, knowing like, okay, we are actually are in a new stage can help learners move, know, like recognize when they've moved through a particular um, part of their learning. And maybe they're now in a new stage of that conscious incompetence, but um, that they've found some competence somewhere. 
Yeah. So I just want to ask about the stress level that we're all, we're all kind of experiencing this low to middle of the road to even high levels of stress, daily stress right now. Um, Do you see that impairing learning? Yes, I I do. And I'm also just every day so blown away by what people actually are able to accomplish and and do regardless. Um, You know, my, my experience is directly with, with school leaders, with, um, with teachers, sort of indirectly with students at this point, young students. You know, one of the things I'm learning is, this is so clear and obvious in the research, but the power of relationship, you know, between a coach and the person they're supporting, but also within an environment, um, relationship and relational support can really help with that stress. Mm-hmm. Um, in a learning environment right now. So that sometimes will indicate how much people can tolerate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about blind spots. Um, yeah. One of the things we discuss in our coach development courses at the CLA is what we call magnets and blind spots. Mm-hmm. And we, we know it's important for all of us in positions of leadership to be self-aware And part of that is having an awareness of what we're pulled toward, which is often what we enjoy and what we feel like we're really good at. And of course, we want to be self-aware about what tend to be our blind spots or areas of our coaching practice that we can tend to neglect. Mm. And I'm going to use myself as an example here. I love efficiency and I want to be respectful of people's time. So anything that creates efficiency within a practice or a teaching session is a magnet for me. But then that can also be a personal blind spot. And if I'm not careful, I won't carve out enough of the less structured, more informal time, um, which is when people connect and develop relationships and have fun, right? Mm-hmm. And I see that you and your colleagues at the CEL also emphasize self-reflection around what you call biases and blind spots. So my question is, and this goes back to um, that level of stress that we're all under right now. So particularly today, Mm -hmm. as we're living in this highly polarized society and people are experiencing these high levels of daily stress, how do we create learning environments where we can bring people together and ensure that they feel safe to be vulnerable? Because ultimately, it takes a level of vulnerability to self-reflect, um, particularly about our personal blind spots and our opportunities for growth. Yeah, I so appreciate this question, too. We, we all have blind spots, and I'm working every day to understand, understand mine better, too. So, so appreciate your putting your thoughts out there about that, you know. And yeah, I, I actually want to talk for a minute about, about biases and blind spots and then talk about the vulnerability side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I think it is such an important point. We know that bias can really interfere with our ability as a learner and as a teacher or a coach to really listen and to, to really see and understand what's happening. And we know that's true in a classroom. We know it's true in a school. It's true in like collaboration and coaching. And this, it's such an important point that we try to make this apparent to our, our learners with rationale and help learners understand why it is so important to get underneath our, our blind spots. You know, for us, it's our work is about creating more equitable schools um, that create learners who can truly experience limitless futures, you know. So we, we know that if we can't look at our own blind spots as educators, we'll never get to that, that vision, you know. And right. 
So we help, one piece is we help our educators name what they, is just like what you did, what their blind spots are. What do they tend? What are their magnets? I love that. When they're observing students or even listening to students, you know, we, we've learned a lot lately that our own tendencies about when we listen to a student, you know, or a, or a, a young person, we tend to even just, even if we're intending to really listen, we tend to listen through our own filter. Mm-hmm. And we find that we can't really support our learners if we're not really hearing them, you know, and they're the experts in their, in their own experience, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, so I appreciate that. I know, I know you're asking about how do we set up for that vulnerability around examining ourselves and our, and our biases. And I think it, it does go back to our fears of being seen as incompetent or not good enough, you know, if you admit to having a blind spot or a vulnerability. So I mean, the one point is really acknowledging that with groups of, of learners that, that we can't get better if we can't acknowledge that we all are learners. And, and, and you know, you, there's this phrase we use a lot, you don't have to be bad to get better, you know, but we all have to be getting better all the time in our learning, which requires mm-hmm. vulnerability. So acknowledging it, I, we also find it is so critical to activate our learners' larger why you know, why are they there in the learning to begin with? At the purpose level, the beliefs level, you know, for us, it's about equity in schools. Um, and for many of our learners, it is as well. And I think we find if you can generate larger commitment around a shared purpose that really gets at that belief and value level, it can motivate adults to work in discomfort, mm, yeah. um, you know, and, and for young learners, if they know their why, you know, um, and n- not have it be like a mantra, like it's true for them. I think there's, there's motivation there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I love, yeah. I love how you said anytime we're working with, with, with adults or any young person that they are the expert in their own experience and their own emotions in their own, life there. And and we need to always be approaching the people we work with, regardless of their age through that lens of a a lens of curiosity, really of this person is the expert. And I need, it is my role to understand that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's harder than it sounds, you know, and and we've been really humbled, but, um, but moved this year. I think we are doing a lot of learning as an organization. One of our our efforts this year is, is to engage more young people in storytelling about their experiences in school. And we're learning that we at our organization are pretty quick to interpret what we hear. Mm. Um, And educators we work with in the field are, you know, quick to do that as well. They really genuinely want to hear their students and then they're, you know, they might insert their own language or experience on top of it. So, and it, it makes me wonder how much we do that in our lives all the time, you know, when we're hearing somebody else's story. Gosh, I, yeah, I can't help but just think about my own relationships and how important it is to just slow down, like just because we are all prone to those reactions. And like you say, seeing through our own lens and I, you know, I know in my, my own relationship, I just have to remind myself constantly, slow down. Right. (laughs) Yes, it's exactly. It's life work. Yeah. Well, what do you find most challenging about working with adult learners and adult leaders? Yeah, 
to be honest, right now, I think what is most challenging is navigating the virtual space. And, and at the same time, I think we are learning how to, how to operate virtually better. So, so there will be learning that we bring forward here for sure. But, you know, I think always, not just in this moment that we're in, I think figuring out for any learner, the right level of support and the right level of push not too much or too little, you know, is often what we're navigating. Um, and what I'm personally always trying to figure out, you know, you, you want when you're coaching someone, that person to, to grow. So we know they need to be pushed, but not beyond what they can do. And they feel, they feel too much, too much sense of an overwhelm to be able to be productive and learning. Yeah. And yeah. I would think that's a, a highly individualized experience that you're having, even in these environments where you're working with a large group of people, you're still having to kind of scan through and understand what each individual is experiencing. Exactly. Which, which when you try and do that on a, on a virtual platform, you know, we've definitely had to learn some, some new skills Um, Mm -hmm. we don't always get it right, you know? So being able to honestly ask for input on, on our work, on my work has been incredibly important and being able to really hear it. I think is, is, is something that I'm actually taking from this experience. We've, we've always tried to, to ask for that kind of input, but I think it's being just amplified that, that importance right now that I am hoping to take that forward beyond this moment. Yeah. Do you mind my asking what has been kind of the most uh, impactful thing you've learned specifically around how to be effective working with leaders in a virtual space? Oh my goodness. There's, it's, there's so much. I mean, I think we, we've been talking a lot as an organization about how much application time learners need in a virtual space. When we lead a group of, of people in person or even an individual, I do think we have tended to have less application time. We definitely processing time and, you know, time to help our learners engage um, with material and content. What I'm hearing loud and clear now is, I don't know if it's just the level of commitment and overwhelm or if it's something more than that, but our adult learners really want to leave a session with concrete uh, tasks accomplished for their role. You know, something really actionable. And I would think as you know, people are dealing with Zoom fatigue. So you're trying to balance their need for having something really specific and needing time for personal application and personal processing. And then you're also trying to keep things efficient because yes. we're overwhelmed. That's not, that's a tough order right there. And we're, you know, learning every day. Yeah. <laughs> more yeah. and more. Yeah. Well, the Center for Educational Leadership, they, you have a framework called the Four Dimensions of School Leadership. Um, and mm-hmm. at the end of our interview, we'll share the link to your website that has that and other models, teaching and, and learning frameworks and other models that folks can download. And in the description of the Four Dimensions of School Leadership model, it says, the framework offers a set of vision statements and guiding questions to help lead for student experiences and outcomes that are socially emotionally and academically meaningful for every child. I want to ask you specifically about guiding questions. What is it about questions and allowing learners space and time to process and reflect on those questions that facilitates learning and growth? Yeah, I mean, questions drive our work and learning as adults, in my experience. Um, It's how we how we, how we learn, how we direct our own learning. And the questions in our frameworks are really intended to cultivate deep curiosity about ourselves and others and 
what's really possible in our work, in our, in our leadership, and I'd say in our lives. And I think it goes back to some of what we were talking about at the beginning, that adults really need to direct their own learning if it's going to stick and they need mm-hmm. to develop agency in that, in that learning along the way, because we have so much life experience and, you know, for better or worse. And um, that we, we really do need to direct it, not be directed constantly. Yeah. So, yeah. So questions just, I think really invite us to, um, to take a journey and to reflect deeply and they, they sit with you from situation to situation as we near the end here, I want to ask you about you know, priming for learning. And, and so my background is in human performance and physiology. So I'm always thinking about like how I can physiologically prime myself or those I'm working with to really feel at their best and be, um, and be set up to learn or to perform. And one of the things I've learned about myself is if I'm, if I'm trying to learn something or I'm trying to do really deep work and I get stuck, I know that I have to break away and go move. I have to go run or walk. Um, and, and when I do that, when I get out and start moving, that whatever I got stuck on typically will just come to me more naturally. Mm. And the, so the way I think about this is when we can create the right learning environment for our learners and for ourselves, it's like gently pulling out the learning or the creativity or the growth versus pushing it or forcing it. And it seems like that is a more effective way to me or more lasting and more enjoyable. Mm. So I'm curious how you prime yourself for learning and for difficult, like deep, hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So similar movement and exercise always helps me center and be ready, essentially. So appreciate those examples. I get out for a run or a walk um, every morning if I can. And you know, getting the chance to work from home, I love that I can, this is a benefit, create the ambiance for learning. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about this, like the right lighting, you know, maybe some music if I can, I'm not, if I'm not on a call or running a training. I also have been thinking a lot about the timing of different types of work. So try, if I can, trying to do the more conceptual and challenging tasks in the morning and I find towards the end of the day is actually pretty good for me anyway, for generative work, more, more creative work and the more technical pieces midday, you know, so that's something I've been thinking a lot about timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how, when you're working with adult leaders, do you spend any time helping them identify these, you know, kind of the um, environmental or physiological uh, individual kind of parameters that, that will set them up for their best learning experience? Yeah, we do. It's something we should do more of. So this is a great question for, for just me and my own thinking and planning. We, we definitely ask about how people need to learn at the beginning of work and beginning of sessions. And if there's an experience that we're about to have where there can be some choice, we'll, we'll ask our participants, you know, you have, you could do this part, this experience on your own. You could do it with a partner and talk it through or, you know, something else that makes sense to you and then have participants reflect about their choice. You know, how did that go? What does that tell you about yourself as a learner? So that, that, that's been helpful. And we've also noticed that sometimes adults don't know what they need and they aren't always good at, at doing what they need or asking for it. And so I think there's something here around awareness about when we do have some choice and control over our environment that would be interesting to pursue. To close, I'm, I'm curious if, there, if you think there is anything about this moment, which I think many would 
feel is a difficult moment in our history mm-hmm. that create is creating a unique opportunity for learning and growth. Yeah. I, I'm seeing that that there is such incredible resilience and creativity and you know ability for us to have to really look at um, what matters most um, in terms of our content, but in terms of our our lives. And I think those are such important opportunities to deeply reflect about different ways to engage with one another and around what you know in terms of what matters most to each of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Michelson, I want to thank you. This I love this topic, and I know it's going to be great for our listeners to just think about, you know, how their students and their athletes are learning, and how we are facilitating their learning experience, but then also how we're facilitating our own personal and professional development. How can folks follow along with the work that you're doing, and the work that the Center for Educational Leadership is doing? Yeah, thanks. We can you can certainly look us up at um, k-12leadership.org. You can find our organization on Twitter at uw and then cel all one word. When I remember to tweet, I'm at Joanna.Michelson <laughs> as well. So hope to, hope I'm to with you. It's a very occasional tweet. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to do more. I really yeah. am. <laughs> Thank you for your time and just a fun conversation for us to, to think about. Um, and we wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you.